Hello, and welcome to the Canopy Boulder Cannabis Business Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of entrepreneurship and investing in the legal cannabis industry. Each week, we'll give you our perspective on the latest news in the industry, bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry pros, and also go deeper on topics like launching a business, building a team, pitching investors, and setting a fair valuation. Now, why would we take on such a challenge? Well, since we launched our cannabis-focused business accelerator and venture fund in 2013, we've made over 110 investments into 90 companies in the legal cannabis industry. And we want to share our experiences and learnings with you. So join us every week as we take a deeper look into the legal cannabis industry and uncover the nuances and subtlety of starting up and investing in cannabis. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Canopy Boulder Cannabis Business Podcast. It's Silly Daily here, and today we're going to talk about banking, um, which seems to be a topic that everybody's concerned about in cannabis. Um, every time issues around the industry come up, uh, banking is part of that. So we really kind of wanted to dive in and sort of unpack what does it mean uh, when people refer to the banking problem and how big of a problem is it and what are the solutions and what's the movement um, in terms of regulation around opening up banking. So uh, who better to talk to me about this than Dan Rhoda, who is with a company called Abaca, which actually just finished the Canopy Boulder program um, this last fall. And they are actually a really interesting company that's doing some banking technology around monitoring and compliance um, in order to offer both ancillary businesses as well as plant-touching businesses um, bank accounts and get them banked in a way that is um, keeping in regulation, not having to lie, um, and is also more sustainable and doesn't result in people having to move their bank accounts pretty regularly. So um, I talked with Dan recently, so I'm going to go ahead and we'll play that interview and I hope you enjoy it. Dan, thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk a little bit about banking today. How's everything in Arkansas? Things are great. It's a beautiful day, and our state is just a couple weeks away from the launch of its medical cannabis program. Uh, patience has been waiting, and it's an exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's awesome. We're excited for you. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about banking, and I couldn't think of anybody better to kind of talk us through what's going on in cannabis banking than, uh, than you. So um, maybe let's sort of start on a high level, right? So I think in this industry, there's so much talk about the quote, like banking problem, um, you know, the cannabis banking problem. So can you kind of help us understand like what, what are people talking about when they're talking about the banking problem? So like a lot of things in the cannabis industry, uh, with respect to banking, there's a lot of bad information out there, a lot of misinformation. And <clears throat> there absolutely is a banking problem in the industry, but what you hear, the common refrain is often very poorly informed. And this goes all the way from, from media all the way up to the top, uh, where uninformed statements about cannabis banking are being made even by the Secretary of the Treasury as recently as last week. Uh, and so let me help kind of clear some of that up. Uh, big picture, you know, cannabis U.S. sales last year, legal cannabis sales exceeded 10 billion with a B. That's a lot of money. And 
And while it's not true that none of that is in banks, it is true that there is some difficulty getting that in banks. Uh, there is a lot of compliance that's required if a bank is going to serve this industry, and, and that's expensive and time consuming. And even more than that, in order for a bank to serve the cannabis industry, the bank has to fundamentally accept the same risk that a person needs to accept if they're going to open a dispensary or begin to professionally cultivate or process cannabis, which is that you are handling and trading in a substance that is still illegal under federal law. It's a Schedule One controlled substance. And if they wanted to, someday the government absolutely could enforce that law, the federal government, and the men in blue windbreakers could show up at your door, kick the door in, take you away, seize all your assets. Bad day, right? We don't think it's terribly likely. Uh, we're betting against it. So many people are betting against it that you're seeing uh, you know, record amounts of capital, uh, you know, billions and billions in capital pouring into the cannabis industry all of a sudden. Those dollars coming in are all people betting that that's not gonna happen, right? right. Uh, but for a, a, an everyday business person, to determine that they want to take this risk and open up a cannabis business is very different than a bank making the determination that they want to take that risk. Right. Uh, if a bank is publicly traded, they can't do it. They'll get sued by their shareholders. And privately held banks, that's still, you know, a group of people and a board that need to be convinced. And so the reality today, what is actually happening based on the latest data from MJ Biz Daily and, and from FinCEN, from the federal government themselves, um, is that... Uh, 75% of the industry is actually banked and uh, you know uh, about 5% of the banks and credit unions in this country are taking deposits from cannabis hmm. and so primarily the big banks are still not doing it uh, and they won't be doing it for a while because those are largely publicly traded entities as uh, I just mentioned and they can't get in for legal reasons they also can't get in uh, for risk reasons as long as cannabis is let's say legal in Colorado, but illegal in Kansas, uh, the industry presents a huge opportunity for money laundering and other abuses in the eyes of the financial right. system. And so for a bank to serve this industry, they have to have adequate controls in place to handle that. And so, you know, due to that difficulty and due to the cost associated with that difficulty, you only see a few banks doing it. Even so, based on the latest data from MJ Biz Daily, three quarters of the industry is banked. Uh, in some form okay. or fashion. So when you say 75% of the industry is banked, but only 5% of banks are accepting deposits, are, is, is that mean that the, only 5% of the banks are doing cannabis? Or are there, like, am I missing something there? 5% uh, of the banks in the U.S. In the U.S. And so uh, the, that 75% of the cannabis industry that is banked kind of breaks down into three buckets. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've got people who are paying a cannabis-friendly bank for a cannabis-friendly bank account. They pay a premium because there's a compliance service associated with that. Uh, this can either be a traditional bank or a more tech-based bank. Uh, we see both active in the space. Uh, another third there uh, would be big companies that or, or entities that have relationship-based banking where they've been able to convince an institution to keep their accounts but they're not accepting any new accounts openly. Uh, we see this happen from time to time in emerging markets where prominent business people in these states are getting into the industry. They can convince their bank to keep their money for a little while until they start seeing success and uh, a bunch of money coming in and all the compliance work associated with that. And eventually those relationships get severed too. 
Uh, the last bucket, and this is the fun one, uh, those are the people who uh, lie to their bank about what they do and get mm. kicked out of their bank every six <laughs> months. And they've decided rather than paying a monthly fee, they want to deal with what we'll call the shuffle fare. Uh, there are certainly legal reasons why that's inadvisable, right? Uh, yep. But the reality is that people absolutely are making the decision to do that. And sometimes businesses have multiple bank accounts on a rolling basis because they're expecting to get kicked out. Uh, it's an operational nightmare and it's textbook yeah. bank, bank fraud. And so for those reasons and more, we don't recommend it. But, you know, reality is that uh, some people in the industry have managed to get banked that way. But primarily what you're seeing is those specialized banks and credit unions that fall into that 5% or so of the banks and credit unions nationally. Uh, we're talking about just a few dozen uh, who are doing this on a big basis and who are, are advertising and welcoming accounts. They're using technology or they're staffing up or some combination of both to handle the compliance workload to serve this industry. And most importantly, these are small private institutions who are willing and able to take that risk. Yeah. So question, and maybe this is a silly question, are there other industries that require banks to have this kind of compliance? Like, is this um, sort of added compliance or sort of compliance premium a, a model that we've seen in other industries? Is it new for cannabis? There are a couple analogs. Cannabis is unique for a few reasons that I'll get into in a minute, but there are other industries that are cash intensive and compliance intensive and also have difficulty getting banking or have to pay for banking, which for most business people is unheard of. Bank accounts are free. We all take that for granted, right? Right. Uh, but you know, the, the two industries that come to mind would be casino gaming uh, and cash services businesses, uh, which by which I mean uh, check cashing locations, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, those are businesses that can uh, also have a high potential for uh, abuse, money laundering, affiliation with criminal enterprise, and they're also cash intensive. So oversight and paperwork are required to bank those industries as well. Sure. Uh, not not as much liquor uh people always say well does the liquor industry experience this and and really it doesn't uh because it's regulated so differently and because liquor is legal in all 50 states and so it is there's nothing wrong with the concept of producing liquor in one state for interstate commerce to all 50 it happens every day you know uh you've got kentucky bourbon on the shelf and i'm sure most people uh listening do too you know that's uh the cannabis industry is fundamentally different. Like I said before, as long as cannabis is legal in Colorado and illegal in Kansas, there are huge challenges related to this. Uh, and even right. if federal law were to change, uh, you know, you have to point out, cannabis doesn't automatically become legal in a place like Kansas uh, or, or, or anywhere. State laws need to change to adapt as well. Uh, right. all, all, all any change in federal law does is pave the way. There are okay. still other steps that need to be taken. Interesting. So, okay, cool. And you know, I think we'll we'll get into it in a minute. I think some of the some of these federal efforts um, to to either legalize or sort of loosen um, the regulations around cannabis. But I'm curious a little bit about the difference between sort of getting a bank account um, and, and what's the problem because we hear a lot around payment processing as being an issue as well. And I don't know if you could speak to that at all. Yeah. So, you know, for the same reasons that it is difficult for a bank to offer a normal checking account to a cannabis business, uh, the banks that run payment processing transactions, we call them acquiring banks or merchant banks, uh, they also uh, have 
difficulty in dealing with cannabis and that there is a significant compliance obligation, paperwork, oversight, et cetera. Uh, on top of that, there's an additional layer of complexity in the payment card space, and that has to deal with uh, the actual card brands themselves, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and Amex. And so for you know, the, the conventional wisdom in the industry for the longest time had been that there was no legitimate option to swipe a card at the point of purchase. And we've actually seen several options come into pro proliferation. Uh, some might argue that some of them are workarounds, but we've seen some be pretty successful. And the status quo right now seems to be uh, that the debit card networks, uh, some of them are allowing cannabis, and there are a handful of US-based banks that are processing in cannabis uh, for these debit card networks. Only the debit card networks, uh, because the credit card brands, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and Amex are still not allowing this. And so uh, if uh, people listening at home open up their wallet and take out their bank card, the one that they would use to the ATM, the, to go to the ATM and go withdraw cash, on the front of it, there's gonna be a Visa or a MasterCard logo. Everybody's familiar with that. If you flip it over to the back, there are gonna be several additional logos, uh, Star, Pulse, uh, NICE, NYCE, all these different debit networks that are out there. And uh, there are many, many more. Uh, these are private mm -hmm. networks that you're, that, uh, many, I, I don't know how many, uh, you know, and there are any number of private networks out there that are able to process bank card, debit, or ATM type transactions uh, and are doing so in cannabis dispensaries now. But the options there are, are also pretty limited. Your vast majority of merchant processors, and again, predominantly the big ones who are processing through the big banks, the largest processors who get the best rates, they're still not cannabis friendly and probably won't be for a while. So if you're, you know, if you go to a food truck or a restaurant, uh, nowadays, most likely you're gonna see Square as a payment option of choice. Mm -hmm. They're processing through a tier one bank. Those tier one banks are not cannabis friendly. They can't do it. Uh, it's gonna be smaller merchant processors that are serving this space, just like there are smaller banks serving the space. Sure, uh, the, good news is, the good news is several years ago, there were none. Uh, now there are several. The other thing we're seeing in there that's increasing in prominence are these kind of two-step transaction methods where a gift card, uh, either an actual physical card or a virtual card or e-wallet is being loaded in step one. Uh, and in some cases, a form of cryptocurrency is being purchased and held in a wallet as step one. And then step two, that wallet is being used to transact for cannabis. And, you know, we've seen success with that in a bunch of places. I've actually heard talk of a couple of those methods. Uh, being shut down uh, or, or losing either Visa or MasterCard access at various points. And so things are still precarious. There are more options now than there were before. But, uh, you know, sometimes things that appear compliant and appear to be blessed and kosher and, and, and that everything has been done right all the way across the chain, uh, you can find out one day somebody has still pulled the plug on. Uh, that's still kind of the name of the game and, and the reality, especially on the payment side of the space, as long as Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and Amex are still officially opposed to processing cannabis in the U.S., which, because they're publicly traded companies, they will have to be until there's a change in, in federal law. So you still won't see them processed on their networks until there's a change in federal law. Interestingly, Canada, when they had a change in their federal law and, can and cannabis was legalized coast to coast in Canada, Visa, MasterCard, and Amex were in there on day one, as were tier one banks in Canada, uh, like Bank of Montreal. Okay. Bank of Montreal won't, however, bank a U.S.-based cannabis business. Yeah, that uh, makes because, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is this, how much of an issue is this for 
plant touching businesses versus non plant touching businesses? Um, you know, it depends. We, our, our company works with both because we see both plant touching and non plant touching businesses having issues with access. I guess I'll say if you're a grower, a processor, a dispensary, uh, you almost certainly are not going to get a bank account at most conventional banks uh, without either somebody really missing something or somebody misrepresenting something. Ancillary businesses, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, anything from a testing lab to a consultant or you know, a repair person that spends a lot of time in cannabis businesses. We've heard of these people getting kicked out of the banks. We've also heard of these people sometimes banking at big banks for a long period of time. Banks seem to be implementing their own policies where uh, they will say if you derive a certain percentage of your revenue from the cannabis industry, 25, 35, 50, whatever it is, if you hit their threshold, then they deem you a cannabis business and kick you out. Uh, but that's arbitrary and it's kind of a willful blindness on the part of the bank because that's almost like saying, well, you know, you only do 5% of your business uh, hiring hitmen. The other 95% is fine, so we're going to keep you because under that bank size, what you're doing is still illegal under federal law. So we see banks kind of being creative in where they're drawing the line because at the end of the day, they don't want to turn away business, but they also don't want to get sued by their shareholders. Uh, they don't want to get fined for... Uh, not following appropriate policies and procedures uh, and the bigger banks are under the, under the radar more for that kind of thing, uh, especially in the post 9-11 world we live in. Uh, banks need to be on guard for criminal enterprise and terrorist enterprise potentially sneaking mm -hmm. money into ones that don't have effective policies and procedures in place are absolutely exposed. Right, um, interesting. Um, so, just I want to touch I want to touch a little bit on kind of what the solution is which is what you're working on which is what Abaca is working on so maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know obviously we've covered the problem <laughs> um, yeah. so what 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 is a solution what is your solution the solution is compliance uh, at the bank level there needs to be a, an effective compliance regime to both monitor every dollar in and know that it's from a compliant transaction and monitor every dollar out and, and know that that's going to a legitimate destination. Some banks choose to handle this uh, by staffing up. Uh, there are some technology solutions like ours that are trying to get some scale on the issue with the aid of uh, some AI, machine learning technology and other things. Uh, but you know, right now in most cannabis markets, there's at least one option for banking. Uh, you know, I was calling on prospective customers in Arkansas. One of them is a multi-state operator who was just shocked. They said, well, this is the first market we've gone into where the banking company, uh, you know, the banking provider actually called us to solicit the business rather than us finding them. <laughs> they thought that really indicated that you were going to So these state operators now who are in, you know, 10, 12, 15 states, they're banked everywhere somehow. There's the solution. Well, what we see this resulting in, in some cases, is very high fees, and we see this resulting in backlogs. Uh, in Oklahoma, where we're active, and there are hundreds of new cannabis businesses, many of whom are looking for bank accounts all at the same time, uh, we're not the only option out there. I'm aware of three or four other uh, banks or banking options available in Oklahoma, but I know a couple of them are operated on a month-long backlog right now. Um, because they haven't achieved efficiencies in processing and doing all the due diligence that's required in order to do business with cannabis businesses. And so we believe the solution is technology. Uh, you know, technology is changing how financial services are delivered in a number of different ways. Uh, you know, fintech, uh, 
uh, as applied to banking has had a tremendous impact on all of our everyday lives. Just look at the things that we do uh, with our phone, uh, you know, sending money to friends, depositing checks, whatever, that we weren't able to do a few years ago. So you know, we're going to continue using technology to, to defeat this compliance hurdle and to deliver financial services to cannabis businesses. And that, that's what we think the future is. So uh, tell us a little bit about your technology. What, what exactly does it do? So there are two key things that we're doing here. Uh, we're monitoring and we're reporting. The, the guidance from the government that, that tells us how we're supposed to handle cannabis accounts says we need to know that every dollar in is coming from a compliant transaction. And that's a tall order. Uh, we're aggregating and analyzing data from many different sources, uh, building a market model and running every transaction off of that model and alerting when anything's outside the bounds so that we can stay on top of our obligation to monitor all of the dollars. And the other thing we're doing is, is automating and aggregating that information to help the bank in filing the reports that it needs to file uh, in order to serve this industry. And so cool. by having that technology, we've been able uh, to convince a, a very strong and uh, kind of tech forward enterprising state chartered bank here in Arkansas that wants to serve the industry uh, to get into this business together. And uh, we go out and we market our name Abaca is uh, is the brand that cannabis businesses see and interact with and our technology is who they're interacting with to open a bank account uh, and to access their bank account and electronically pay their vendors, pay their employees, order products, do all the things that people in other industries get to do and take for granted, we're able to deliver those services uh, to the cannabis industry finally. Hmm. Cool. So, you know, there's a lot happening, right, in on a federal level, I think right now in terms of loosening prohibition and sort of moving towards um, maybe not total legalization, but at least, uh, at least you know, more normalization of cannabis. Can you speak at all about sort of any of these congressional efforts towards legalizing cannabis banking and how you expect that to maybe impact what you guys are doing with your technology? So you know, we see several pieces of uh, reform being proposed at the federal level, uh, the States Act, the Safe Banking Act, and a couple of others. And you know, these are not new. They've been proposed before. What's different this time around is that the Democrats now control the House after a few years of not. And so where things previously couldn't get through committee and couldn't get down to the floor, now they are. They're going to get some debate. We might even see uh, either the States Act or the Safe Banking Act or multiple pieces, in fact, of cannabis reform, make it to the floor and get a vote. Unfortunately, <coughs> excuse me, unfortunately, I don't think we're uh, all that likely to see these things reach the Senate floor and get a vote there. Mitch McConnell has said that uh, he's not receptive to cannabis reform, not interested in hearing any of these. And, you know, there is a always a political possibility because anything can happen in the name of getting reelected, uh, you know, that some momentum happens and th these things are heard in the Senate, but I'm not bullish on it. I think we probably are going to see the status quo remain the same for at least a couple of years. Uh, but even if not, you know, there are a few interesting things that uh, could potentially be coming down the pike. The, the Safe Banking Act uh, codifies the existing federal guidance and uh, adds certain protections that will enable more financial institutions to serve the space, but they're still going to have to get over that compliance burden we were talking about. So you'll see more options. I think uh, maybe you'll see some of those backlogs I was talking about start to decrease as there are more players. But you're not going to see Wells Fargo and Chase and Bank of America run right into it. Uh, 
if something like the States Act or the Safe Banking Act passes. And, you know, the, the proof is kind of in how banks have reacted since CBD, uh, since the legal status of hemp-derived CBD was clarified after the Farm Bill was uh, passed, the most recent one uh, that, that was just passed. Mm-hmm. You know, I had thought, frankly, that, you know, the, the CBD customers that we had were slowly going to start uh, making their way to more uh, conventional banking options. Uh, as we had heard that some bigger banks and bigger payment processors were going to begin to get into the CBD space. Interestingly, uh, the opposite has happened. Here it is four months later, and the largest payment processor that had said they were getting into CBD, Elevon, which is owned by U.S. Bank, a large publicly traded bank, January 1st, they said, send us your CBD accounts, we'll take them. 20,000 merchants were onboarded. April 30th, they are cutting everybody off. Notices went out a few weeks ago. So four months, they were in the CBD payment processing business, and it's been all this upheaval. You know, uh, rates were really high, and then they came way down because Elevon came in, and now they're kind of going back up. They might hit kind of an equilibrium here. But it's, you know, we wanted to do a postmortem on the situation and say, what was the thought process? What happened internally at that institution to make them jump in in January and jump back out in April? And what we see happening is still kind of a confusion in legal status, uh, that we think would be similar to what you'd get if you if something like the Safe Banking Act or the States Act were to pass, where you still have risk of abuse, you still have a high compliance burden, and you still have uh, a trade that might be legal in one state but illegal in another. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, so, and how do you? I mean, do you think that's going to impact you guys and <laughs> puppy? Um, yeah. Do you, yeah, how do you think that that's going to kind of impact what you're working on um, going forward? Yeah, so, you know, if the Safe Banking Act were to pass tomorrow, we think uh, because of the high compliance nature of cannabis banking being unchanged by that bill, you know, we think that just means we need to hit the ground extra hard and get additional banks on our platform because there will be more banks looking to serve this space, but they will absolutely need technology to help them do it. And so, uh you know, we think, honestly, that might make it easier to get additional banks on the platform to help us expand. Uh, It's certainly going to help increase access uh, to bank accounts and other financial services in the space. Uh, But we still think it's going to be smaller companies like ours that are delivering this and smaller banks, because we still think uh, the big banks are going to be years away from serving it, just like I think the big banks are years away from serving the CBD industry in a big way, despite the fact that uh, you know, CBD uh, per the latest farm bill, as long as it's hemp derived, uh, is now legal coast to coast. So, yeah, you know, things are big picture, things are improving, but it's still going to be specialized for a little while. Uh, And, and, you know, the outlook for businesses is that they're, uh, they're going to have to continue budgeting, uh, budgeting for it, uh, you know, it, not just in bank account fees, but also in cash handling and logistics associated with that. That's going to continue to be a big part of the industry. Uh, some players are going to choose to continue dealing in cash rather than pay to put their money in the bank. It's not the choice I would make, but that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a decision that's going to be made out there. And so, you know, people that are making that choice are going to have to continue doing that. But that's kind of the old guard. We're seeing uh, professionalizing in the cannabis industry, especially as we see more institutional capital flow in. Uh, 
you know, a multi-state operator that's publicly traded in Canada isn't going to tolerate its local branch uh, keeping all their money in a safe and then moving it in pizza boxes to some guy, you know, to the, right. the mattress under the mattress in the manager's house. That's right. that's not an acceptable SOP, nor should it be. Sure. And so, you know, I, I do think ultimately over time, uh, you will see uh, you, you will see the problem continue to get solved and costs continue to go down. It's just one of the ways cannabis is already starting to see more mainstream acceptance than just a few years ago. Uh, okay. the, the other big area, a couple of these bills, the States Act in particular, uh, the big place that that provides relief where the Safe Banking Act does not uh, is in 280E, the dreaded tax provision that is a far greater financial drain on cannabis businesses than what they have to pay uh, to have a bank account. You know, that, that is the provision that this allows them from deducting uh, many of their operating expenses. Uh, it was a, you know, it's a tax provision that was intended uh, to target mafiosos and the like, and it's being mm -hmm. used to target legitimate business enterprises, uh, in some cases tax them completely out of existence. And it's, a, it's an issue that is not well understood because it's, it's technical, it has to do with the tax code. And it's an issue that's not politically popular to have anybody do anything about. Um, sorry about the, the dogs barking. Uh, <laughs> we like dogs. I, you know, yeah, I, I guess uh, at least my dogs are concerned about the issue and I'm glad <laughs> it's getting the attention it deserves because look, it's, it is absolutely an unfair burden on cannabis businesses and it's one that is tough for politicians to try and, and rise to action on, uh, you know, because it's, it's challenging and it's not politically popular, but it's, it's something that businesses really, really need relief on. And if the States Act, for example, passes, you know, it might be a few years, uh, maybe several years before you see bigger banks and low cost banking really come into the space. Uh, but cannabis businesses will be, uh, will have a much bigger uh, gain if that bill passes and that is that they will no longer be subject to the burden of 280. So, you know, they'd be looking yeah. at cutting their tax bill in half uh, or more in some cases. So definitely some significant stuff on the horizon. I might sound pessimistic about what the prospects of these bills mean for banking because I think it'll still be incredibly complex. But these bills, big picture, and just the fact that they're being talked about and, and making progress at all uh, past benchmarks where they had been previously and watermarks where they had been previously, uh, it's huge. You know, progress is absolutely being made even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the industry as a whole, right? It's, it seems like it's like one day there's a step forward and everyone's excited and then the next day it's like two steps back. So right. I don't know, we'll see what happens. Um, thank you so much for your thoughts. It, that was really interesting and helpful and, and we really appreciate uh, you sort of jumping on the phone with me and talking through it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, tell everybody at Canopy I said, hey. Cool. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think that's kind of it. Thanks to everybody for joining us today um, on the podcast. And thanks to Dan and uh, Abaca for sort of enlightening us on cannabis banking. Um, if you like what you hear, make sure you rate and review so that other people can find your stuff. And if you start writing reviews, I might start reading them out loud and then you would be famous, which would be cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's it. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Now for the disclaimers. Please do not take any information from the Canopy Boulder podcast or its guests as investment advice. Be sure to contact your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. So 
Thank you for listening, and please join us for another Canopy Boulder podcast episode coming to you soon.